In a stadium rich with tradition, the lights shine the brightest. This is The Camp. Now, here's your host, Zach Heilprin, on the Wisconsin Sports Zone Radio Network. Well, the Badgers are more than halfway through spring ball. We got to see practice number eight on Thursday morning. We also saw practice earlier this week as well, Jesse. But I think uh, it's probably worthwhile starting with who we got to talk to on Monday, and that was the quarterbacks for the Badgers, or at least three of them, and most importantly, Graham Mertz, who addressed the media for the first time since the bowl game. And after a few questions, he got to the question that I think a lot of people were wondering, and you asked that question, and it was, so uh, Caleb Williams, what did you think about that situation? And I thought he gave what uh, was the best answer he could possibly give. No. Yeah, it's. I know when fans read that quote, it made them feel good about Graham and the leader that he is, and it's the best answer that he could give. I agree with you. He said, it's a coach's job to find the best player. What am I going to say? Oh, no, I deserve this. I don't deserve anything. I've got to prove it every day, prove it's my job, and that's what I'm going to do. That's what I've always done. I will say this about Graham. Um, when you're the quarterback of a Big Ten program, especially when things aren't going well, you're going to get a lot of questions, a lot of difficult questions. He always steps up. He always answers them well. Now, winning the press conference doesn't necessarily translate to winning on Saturdays, but he always handles himself well. And I thought he handled himself very well in this situation, too, because it was inevitable that he was going to get asked about that, given the fervor that it was was created when Caleb Williams' name was linked to Wisconsin and what it could have meant for Graham. So kudos to him for, for saying what he said. Um, he spoke with conviction and, you know, that's behind him now. This is still his team, but um, it was important for him to have conversations with coaches, which Bobby Ingram talked about it during his introductory news conference. And Graham talked about it again on Monday, just to understand where things were uh, and where things are going to be moving forward. Do you feel he felt that way? I do like not about the idea that he's owed anything, but that he took it as well as he said he took it. Well, it's hard to get into Graham's mind. Um, Obviously I've covered him for a long time, but you can't know what someone's thinking deep down. I have to imagine initially the reaction is being less than thrilled, right? If if there's talk that someone's going to come in, uh, they could potentially take your job. But I also know that as cliche as it sounds like Graham is a competitor and he, he wants to, uh, do what he can to be the best quarterback that he can be. Now, it's it's different at that position, as we've seen all over the country. Only one guy can have the ball in his hands. Um, I think he probably would have welcomed the challenge. I mean, I don't not that he would have had a choice if someone would have come in and, and given it him his best. Um, I don't know what that situation would have looked like. But ultimately, I think he he views Wisconsin as like he chose this school for a reason. Um, and he knows that he needs to be better. Like that's the other thing. I think if it was, if he had given everything that he'd got and believed that was his ceiling, maybe that's different, but he talked quite a bit about all the little details that he knows he needs to clean up in order to be the quarterback that he believes he can be. Is that any different than in the past? Do you think, or has he always kind of been like that in terms of knowing he needs to be better and knowing certain little things that have to be better. And I, I feel like he's always, yeah. working towards something like it's it, at least in the way that he talks about it. I don't think that that's necessarily new, 
though he's certainly going about, and he said this, he's going about it in a little bit different way. Like he said, if you continue to go about things the same way, it's kind of like the definition of an insanity, expecting, you know, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. He understands the results weren't good enough last year. And he has changed up a few things about how he has approached this offseason. I don't necessarily think that was completely uh, anything to do with Caleb Williams. I think it has a lot to do with just who Graham is. Yeah, to me, this is really no different from who Graham's been since he got here and who he was before he came to Wisconsin. He said a lot of the same things last year in terms of what he was looking to improve. I remember we talked to him last spring. He had watched all the cut-ups from his plays from the 2020 season and saw where he needed to be better. And he did the same thing this year. Um, I think there's certainly a lot to work on. And honestly, earlier this spring, when we talked to Paul Christ for his first press conference since the end of the season, I'd asked him what he thought Graham needed to improve. And I will say, I thought Paul gave one of the best, most complete answers I've heard from him in a long time about all the areas where Graham can be better. And obviously they've had a lot of those discussions as has Bobby Ingram about cutting down turnovers, um, you know, not having exchange issues when you're handing off to the running back. Um, But there's clearly a long list. And so I don't necessarily know that that's different, but I, I think, Certainly the approach is a little bit different, as you said. And the thing that's probably the most noticeable is just physically how he's changed himself. And you asked him about that. He's dropped. If you look at the playing weight on the spring practice roster, it's 216. He was at 227 last year. Now he said he's closer to around 220 now, but was over 230 last year. He's changed his diet. And I think that's just another sign of the dedication he has to be the best quarterback that he can be. And he says he feels like it's made him better and he feels like he's throwing the best that he ever has so it's all these little details that add up to make the jumps that he hopes he can make in his third year as a starter and I know a lot of people may be listening and they're rolling their eyes or shaking their heads because we do talk about this I think the last couple off seasons but I I I really think Graham is in position to make a critical jump in his third year as a starter I mean obviously there's a lot of other factors in play with the guys that he has around him but he seems to be doing the right things and at least recognizes the shortcomings that he has, as do the coaches. And he seems to be working toward being better in those areas. He definitely has. Would you, do you think he is throwing the ball as well as he has? And I certainly think he's moving as well as he has saw a couple. Uh, I don't really understand the purpose of them, but uh, saw some scrambles today. Like after mm-hmm. when he didn't have anybody open uh, down the field, took off, uh, you know, running past some guys. I thought that, he does. I think he does look what he said. He thinks he uh, was trying to accomplish this offseason. It, it kind of looks that way. Yeah, I agree that I think he's moving better. It's really tough for me to sit here and say, well, this is the best he's ever thrown. Because yeah. I think it's also worth pointing out for people listening like, OK, we've had an opportunity to watch the last five practices in their entirety. But this is still spring practice. And a lot of the um, periods that we're watching their individual drills, their skeleton drills, you know, you're not getting a full picture of what everything looks like. There will be a handful of periods that are 11 on 11, but you break that down further. It's a lot of hands off handoffs, a lot of maybe shorter throws, and you're not seeing a ton of situations where Graham is just totally airing it out. I, I've, there have certainly been some nice throws. And I actually think during the practice Thursday, he had maybe one of the better throws I've seen from him this spring. He just delivered a dart over the defense uh, 
John Torchio was there underneath and he hit Skylar Bell for a long game. There were a couple of DBs behind him. Um, and we've seen those flashes, but it's throws like that where you go, oh, you know, that's what's different. And if you string that together, then you can be who people hoped uh, you were going to be coming in. But it's just, again, very difficult to sit here and say, well, it's completely different or completely changed because we don't get the opportunity to see a ton of those situations in practice. Yeah, that's that's for sure. And I would agree with the throw to Skylar Bell. And I, I thought it wasn't just it wasn't just like a laser by any stretch. I like it was there was great touch to get it over yes. Torchio, but also get it through, you know, have a little bit of zip on it to get it through the two guys that were around Skylar Bell. The one I believe Cedric Dort was was one of them trailing him, but it was a really good throw. And he's he's had really good throws. I mean, that's 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 what we've seen at different points in games, too, right? Like just it's about consistency and doing it. On a regular basis, I will say this: I think that they are protecting the ball much better than they have mm-hmm. in previous springs, and certainly during the regular season. You know, there there have been very few turnovers offensively, uh, especially the interceptions. Graham has not thrown one in eleven on eleven drills yet that I've seen. So that is what he's talked about. I think the other uh, important thing that was talked about on Monday was uh, Bobby Ingram discussing with us about Graham's propensity to try and hit the home run yes. and, and try and make the throws down the field. When all he has to do is do a little Tom Brady and check it down, let his running back or you know whoever is out there do the work. And instead of doing that, he tries to make the bigger throw down the field. He doesn't need to do it. That may be an obvious thing for, for I think, a lot of people, but I think it's worthwhile to note it here. I'm glad you brought that up because I think the next natural question here is, okay, Graham's got his third quarterbacks coach in three seasons. It's Bobby Ingram. Keller Christ is helping out substantially as well. What is it that they're trying to show him or what could be different? Um, And that was, as you mentioned, one of the things that Bobby pointed out, he cited a situation during practice on Saturday where Wisconsin's offense faced a third and three and Graham took a deep shot down the field that was incomplete. And Bobby said that there was an open receiver underneath. And if Graham would have thrown the the check down, it would have gone for a first down. And, and Ingram said he's Graham's got an aggressive mentality, which you like, and he wants to make the big plays. And he recognized that he had a matchup and was willing to take the shot. But at the same time, you got to take the ones that the defense are, are giving you. Um, and I think we've we've seen that, too, during Graham's career. And, you know, Jack Cohen, I feel like that was one of the things he did well was his ability to check down and make those types of decisions. It wasn't always the big home run play or the flashy play, but he was able to move the chains. Um, and I think that's something that Graham is, is trying to do as well. Any quarterback wants to, to hit the home run, and Graham acknowledged that too. He's a quarterback. He likes to and wants to throw the ball, but it's all part of the evolution of being a quarterback. The other thing that I think is important that Bobby said is that this spring, they're trying to put Graham under center a lot more as opposed to out of the shotgun. And the reason is they feel like that that can tighten his drops, give him more consistent timing and rhythm, and also allow for better communication with his teammates at the line of scrimmage. So I think that's interesting too. Obviously, when Graham was in high school, every snap that he took was out of the gun. They ran a spread offense. He was airing it out 50 times a game. They're still going to do some of that, but that seems to be something that is helping Graham as well. And I know these stats are sort of skewed because when Wisconsin was in the shotgun a lot of times last year um, or in his career, it's been because they've been behind and needed to make a play. But 
these are for numbers from pro football focus. And I put this in my story earlier this week, when he's under center, he's completed over 66% of his passes for 11 touchdowns and three interceptions out of the shotgun in his career. It's 58%, eight touchdowns, 13 interceptions. Again, you take that with a grain of salt, a grain of salt, but the numbers are markedly better from under center. And I do wonder whether that'll make a substantial difference in Graham this season. Yeah. I mean, again, the, I, I, and he mentioned it when he was talking about it, how previous quarterbacks started under center and then worked their way back. And he's kind of going the other way. You know what I mean? Like he, uh, w- where they had a lot of experience being under center. And then as they got more experience at Wisconsin, they, they kind of went back into the shotgun. And now he obviously has a ton of experience in the shotgun and is now working his way back under center. Though I guess Jack Cohn was not under center a ton in high school either. But I mean, so often in high school these days, you're rarely under center. Like the all the high school offenses, or I shouldn't say all of them, but a lot of them are shotgun all the time because they kind of mimic some of the stuff that happens in college. But I'm I'm interested to see how it plays out. I, again, I I think Graham, if you're a fan, he could be frustrating, but he's also easy to root for because he says and does like all the right things off the field. He doesn't you know doesn't really ruffle any feathers in that respect. And I think he could have taken the Caleb Williams situation a lot differently. We've seen. Other quarterbacks, in whether it's pro or college, take it differently and get really upset and leave. But he doesn't seem to be, he doesn't seem to have that in him. Would you agree? Yeah, I would. Um, it's easy to say that now, obviously, because there's no Caleb Williams. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I do agree with that statement. And the way things are currently, and it's just maybe obvious, but this is Graham's team. There isn't a quarterback that is even close to challenging him. You know, it's been Graham all the way. Chase has gotten the backup reps. Deacon Hill's gotten the third, and we really haven't seen much of Miles Burkett. So once again, like last year, the offense is going to go as far as Graham takes it. Um, obviously, they've got to figure out who he's going to be throwing to, but I, I think they're starting to make some progress in that area as well. Yeah. Uh, did, did you learn anything about uh, Deacon Hill or uh, Miles Burkett and talking to them on Monday? No, nothing. nothing really too substantial. Um, you know, I talked to Deacon in December during goal prep and did a story about him. Then I I wouldn't really say all that much has changed in the last three, three and a half months and talked to miles before he enrolled. So I think they understand their place right now and and what they're trying to learn with Deacon. It's always been about arm strength, but it's the accuracy and putting it all together. I think that's still part of the process. And as I said, we haven't had an opportunity to see much of Burkett. Um, so Nothing new on, on the front there. And, and Chase Wolf wasn't available because he was in class, if people are wondering why. We didn't have an opportunity to speak to him. Yeah, we'll get one later this spring. And talking to Deacon, it's always about arm strength. He's taking the head off of some guys. It feels like <laughs> some guys could be losing heads at points this year um, yeah. on some of the throws that are probably need a little bit more touch. But then he also makes just some ridiculous throws too. Uh, there was one in 7-on-7 seven seven on Tuesday where it was an out to, to Mark Allen, put it right on him. And I'm not sure it, I mean, it got there as quick as anything I've seen at Wisconsin in terms of guys being able to, you know, put the ball where they wanted to. And he had one right after that, that went to Spence, uh, Skylar Bell on the other side, had a great throw today down the field in 11 on, on 11. Like he, he has flashes of it, but there are other times where it's the ball is not where it needs to be, or it's not accurate, or it's uh, a little coming out a little bit too fast. I know a lot of people were wondering about the weight, uh, how he got up to 262, and I asked him about it, and it certainly was not planned. Uh, he had, 
I believe what he said, uh, some issues during break, break before camp started. And so there was, there was that, but he's also already lost some. And he's also got Graham Mertz uh, helping him there too. As you mentioned, the, the weight thing, Graham, a lot of what? A lot of chicken, a lot of rice, a lot of vegetables for him. Is that kind of how he uh, got lost the weight that he wanted to? Well, that's what he said. He said he's eating four meals a day. I don't know which one of these is breakfast. Maybe that's another meal, but he said it's chicken, rice, broccoli, chicken, rice, asparagus, chicken, rice, green beans, chicken, rice, peas. And sometimes he'll put steak in there for chicken. Uh, can be really boring. And he said that it can be. So you've got to mix it up. But honestly, like that's the best way for these guys to get into the shape that they want to get. I can remember talking to Alex Hornibrook when he was here, wrote that story about him eating 6,000 calories a day. And if you looked at his fridge, it was just stacked with a bunch of chicken breast. It may be bland, but that's the best way to lean out and, and become the player that you want to be in this small window that you have to take advantage of yourself physically. So I do think, and Deacon mentioned this too, that he and Graham have become, become especially close here the last few months yeah. um, since they got back for the winter conditioning in mid-January. And so Graham is just a really good guy, a really good mentor for, for Deacon right now to show him the way about how you approach things off the field and on the field. Yeah. So he, the way it's already coming off and he hopes to be uh, 235. It's kind of where he wants to be. And, uh, you know, if he follows Graham Mercer's plan, I think he'll be there. But his arm talent is unquestionable. And uh, we'll see if he can put everything else together. The other group that we got to talk to this week, and we'll get to talk about the wide receivers and some of the things we've seen, the offensive line and that type of thing. But you also got the uh, opportunity to chat with the, the quarterbacks. And I think that's another interesting group because there's a lot of new faces there, including three transfers, Cedric Dort and Jay Shaw and Justin Clark, and you have those three guys, what was your biggest takeaway from from those three in talking to them on Wednesday? Well, Cedric Dork talked about that the three of them, as well as Alexander Smith, who's really the leader of the group because he's the, the veteran who's been in the program, they're all, they all feel like they're on the same mission and they're all on the same page. And this can be a really delicate balance when you bring in transfers, especially three in the same position group, when you've already got guys who are there who are probably starting to wonder, hey, what the hell, man? I've put in all this time and you're bringing these dudes to play over me. I think it's easier because each of these guys, first of all, uh, they've all got one year of eligibility left. They came in having a combined 16 years under their belt of, of college experience, and they understand why they're here and they're working really hard because they've got this one shot. I thought it was interesting earlier this spring when Jim Leonard talked to us, he mentioned that the vision for the program here hasn't changed. They want to be a recruit and develop program. It's how they've had success over the years. He said, we want to be able to look players in the eye when we recruit them and say that you'll develop here and grow and have an opportunity down the road. But this is the world of college football right now. And there are exceptions that must be made in the interest of competitiveness. If you've got all these great players in the transfer portal, you absolutely owe it to yourself and, and your program to explore that. It's just a, this was a unique situation and it wound up where there was a perfect fit here because you lost Caesar Williams and Fayon Hicks. Those two guys combined to play 1,167 defensive snaps last season. Dean Ingram, your top nickel corner and the guy who played the third most snaps at the position last year is now a wide receiver. Dante Burton and Deron Harrell entered the transfer portal at midseason and those guys had combined to play in almost 50 games with 14 starts. So there was a huge hole there in terms of experience other than Alexander Smith, really. Um, so they 
they did the homework very quickly. They brought them in. I, I was impressed with all three of them, honestly. Like they they understand why they're here. They're all here to compete right now and to elevate the group. And cornerbacks coach Hank Potit says that he believes that has happened. Some of those younger guys who may not have been ready have seen how hard those guys have worked and it has made them all better. Which one has impressed you the most? On well, the- I think it's Jay Shaw. Um, yeah. You know, I, it, it's funny because if I'm writing a practice recap, I'm not writing about all these picks that he's made or pass breakups, but that's because he's locking guys down, I think in part. And when I talked to him, he said that his, his goal is really to eliminate his receiver and make it a 10 on 10 game. This is a guy who was a second team all pack 12 pick last season by the associated press, even though he only started five games. He played, he's played in over 40 games. He has 16 career starts. He tied for the team lead at UCLA with three interceptions. So he's got, what Hank Poteet called a dog mentality. That's something that Poteet talks all the time about with his group. He said he even saw it when he was watching film of Shaw, just how hungry he is and, and how much he wants to shut down the other guy. And I fully expect him to be the day one starter. I think it'll be him and Alexander Smith. And I think right now, if I had to pick a guy who's going to be the the top slot guy, I would pick Justin Clark just based on what we've seen. He's the Toledo transfer, but I think Cedric Dort's going to be in the mix. Ricardo Hallman as well. They've got a lot of good players back there, but there's no doubt that adding these three guys has been huge for the program. And I give credit to the players and the coaches for, for finding guys that I think fit what they value because that's really hard too. Sometimes you might bring in a transfer and and it doesn't work out and that can be bad for the position group. Wisconsin really relied a lot on the relationships that it had developed, which I think is interesting too. Yeah, for sure. Uh, in the secondary though, where you talk about the depth of cornerback and how, how many different guys you could probably see out there, the depth at safety took a big yeah. hit. It has taken a bit of a hit, you could say. Losing, obviously, Scott Nelson and Colin Wilder after last year, you were expecting John Torchio, Travion Blaylock, Hunter Wolder to be your top three, and then you know, you'd know you find somebody else potentially to uh, step in. Well, Travion Blaylock goes down in practice on Tuesday. We don't know how serious the injury is. It sounds like it's uh, going to be certainly, obviously, not going to be back for spring, and who knows whether he'll be ready for, for fall camp or not. But right now, they have four healthy safeties, and I mean – only two of them have actually played, and Hunter Wooler barely played last year uh, defensively, obviously, played a ton of special teams. But that's an area where it's getting a little thin, and it's why I think we've seen a little bit of Avion Jones back there as well, being able to play both cornerback and, and safety. And, and Alexander Smith has played a little back there as well. Yeah, and Hank Poti talked about this too um, this week that if they get into a situation where they need someone, he feels really comfortable with what Smith can give them there. Now that's not ideal because Poteet also said that he considers, and he believes that Alex is a starter right now at cornerback. He is the starting cornerback. Um, That's how much confidence and trust he has in Smith. But if you get into a spot and you do have cornerback depth, I think he can fill that role. And it is interesting. They've kind of been using guys in hybrid spots, Avion Jones as well, but yeah, there's, there's just not a lot right now because Preston Zachman has been injured. Austin Brown, who's signed in this recruiting class, isn't here yet, finishing high school, so he won't be here until the summer and, and for fall camp, and you don't know how long it's going to take a true freshman to acclimate to the college game. So that's kind of what they have right now. Um, obviously, Owen Arnett, who's a walk-on. They've got, they brought in Bryce Carey, who's the 
walk on who started his career at Northern Illinois, but not a lot in terms of scholarship depth and, and overall depth. And that's why they're, they're utilizing cornerbacks right now. Yeah. It's concerning. And I would say of all the places that you could potentially, again, we'll see where the injury, how significant the injuries are, but it would be a situation potentially, potentially, maybe you look at the transfer portal to add a, an experienced safety after spring. Well, again, just like after the season, you owe it to yourself as a program to see who's there. And I think that there's clearly going to be more movement once everything finishes up in terms of spring practices all over the country. I'm not saying there's someone in particular at Wisconsin who may be unhappy, but there's 100 plus guys. Um, You've got 85 scholarship players. And if someone's not happy with their role, given how easy it is now to enter the transfer portal and pursue another option like that is going to be something that continues. So I think there still could be movement there. I'm with you. Yeah, for sure. So we've seen five practices now. I think it's pretty easy to say who the standout group has been. Maybe you would disagree with me, but... um, Can I guess? Yes. Are you going to say it's the outside linebackers? Yes. So good. (laughs) We're on the same page. It is, by I think, far and away, the most impressive group that we've seen to this point. And you can say, depending on whether you're a half-glass full or a half-glass empty guy, well, then the offensive line must be horrible. I don't necessarily think it's been that. I think that they've been able to make plays, yes, and get into the backfield, but also in coverage too. I said this after practice on Tuesday, and maybe it's a little bit bit of uh, hyperbole, a little bit maybe over the top, but I think they have five guys who could start this fall. That's obviously not going to happen, but I think they have five guys that have starting capability come this fall, whether it obviously Nick Herbig is a starter, CJ Getz is right there, Caden Johnson, Daryl Peterson, and then the one guy that has probably stood out as much as anybody, TJ Bowlers, who has been, uh, he's a little bit trimmed down from last year. And you can tell in the speed plus the power, he has been all up in the quarterback's faces throughout camp. I thought TJ had the best practice that I've seen this spring on Tuesday because he was living in the backfield during the 11 on 11 sessions. There was one situation where he beat, I think it was Trey Wedig off the edge and he would have sacked Chase Wolf. And again, worth mentioning, Sometimes it's hard to know how a play would have unfolded because you can't just drill the quarterback. You have to let up and then the play continues, but he's winning his matchups one-on-one. He would have sacked Chase Wolf. Then later in practice, he beat Logan Brown, who was at right tackle for another would-be sack of Graham. And then in the final segment, there there was a, a play where he was in on a pressure and Keanu Benton would have gotten the sack of Graham, but yeah, TJ's been living back there. I think he's made a big jump. I know people were kind of wondering, especially after the first year, they maybe hoped to hear more about TJ because of how highly regarded he was as a high school recruit. But I also think in general, Nick Herbig missed the first two plus weeks of spring practice because he had a left arm injury. I mean, he was on the, on the field in street clothes, but that gave the other four scholarship guys a bunch of reps. You know, CJ Getz and Caden Johnson were generally with the first group and Daryl and TJ both were with the second group, but also got snaps with the first group. And I'm with you. I, I think all those guys have shown that they can be playmakers. And it's been a position that Wisconsin has had a, a lot of success with in recent years. And I don't expect that to change this season. Yeah, it makes a ton of sense as to why Spencer Lytle is that inside linebacker right now. Um, mm-hmm. Just because you're just having an abundance of talent on the outside. And Nick Herbig was back at practice on, Tuesday, on uh, Thursday. He took part in some seven-on-seven, seven, but did not take part in team drills. I, he had a, a, a brace on that left arm, uh, upper left arm. So I think it's probably, yeah, I'm not going to speculate on what exactly the injury is, but uh, he, he at least was back 
which was good to see. They have had a lot of talented outside linebacker groups, and we have to wait until fall to see what it looks like on the field. But I think this has the potential to be as good as any group that they've had overall, like a, a, in total, overall, where they're at right now, potentially right up there with anything they've had. And that's saying something for the, <laughs> the outside linebacker groups at Wisconsin, considering some of the guys that they've had. Yeah, I, I'm i with you. I'll, I'll kind of withhold uh, judgment until the season. Uh, the first, the top group that comes to mind in this 3-4 era would be T.J. Watt and Vince Beagle. Um, you know, Watt was an All-American. Beagle was an All-Conference player. And obviously, you had Zach Bond, who was an All-American too. Noah Burks was pretty good. But I think the ceiling is is higher with some of these guys. I fully expect Nick to just dominate this year. And I won't be surprised if he's so good this year that he goes to the NFL like Leo Chanel did after his junior year. I yep. might be putting a lot on him, but like that's been the plan since he picked Wisconsin all the way from Hawaii. Like you don't have the other guys. He is the one you're looking at. And I, I think he's going to have a huge season. Um, but in saying that you got to account for whoever's on the other side. And th- there's a lot of, quality players there. I think CJ Getz is in possession position to make a, a big jump. And I if I had to pick, I still think he'll be the starter on day one, but I mean, that's no guarantee because these other guys are pushing and Daryl Peterson's right there too. Yeah. Uh, that 2016 group that you mentioned, uh, Garrett Dooley, TJ Watt, Vince Beagle, Noah Burks and Zach Bond, but none of those, like Zach Bond was not 2019 Zach Bond at that point. Right. You know what I mean? So he took a huge, obviously huge leap in his final year. TJ Watt and Vince Beagle were insane. And then Garrett Dooley certainly helped. But that, I mean, that group, I, I think I, this one's deeper, I think, at this point in terms of what they have and, and whether these guys can play. And I think this one's deeper than that one, just based on what we've seen at this point. And as you said, reserving final judgment until, the, until it actually happens, until it actually plays on the field. But we know what... Nick Herbig is, and we've seen what CJ Getz can do. And uh, I just, I think the other guys are going to prove that they're right there with them. So that has been the group that has stood out positively at the highest level. Is there a group that stands out that maybe hasn't performed at the level that maybe that uh, they need to at this point? Ooh, that is a really tough one. Um, yeah. To me, it's more of who's even available. Um, Nobody in my mind looks ever really looks terrible in spring practice. Um, again, the, the, the number of 11 on 11 reps that we've seen have been limited, limited relative to how much practice they've had, but like it just, there's not a lot of tight ends right now. <laughs> I think that makes it difficult. I think there's quality there. I think we've seen, um, some opening moments like Jack Pugh looks like he's ready to make a big leap, but Cam Large, Clay Cundiff, those guys had season-ending injuries last year. Jack Eschenbach has been out. There's, you just need more depth there. You got Riley Nokowski, who's a fullback, playing a lot of tight end. But I don't think there's a position group that I think, wow, they haven't been good. Is there <laughs> one in your mind at this point? No, but I think that there are. I mean, uh, there are certainly some spots where you're like, that's that could be concerning. But then again, you're missing how many guys, right? right. Like, uh, especially along the offensive line, you don't know exactly what that offensive line is going to look like. Jack Nelson went down uh, in Saturday's practice uh, with an upper body injury. He's been dressed the last few practices, but has not actually taken part, which has moved Riley Mallman in the starting lineup at left tackle. And I think Riley has more than held his own. I yes. think the bigger concern maybe on the right side, where uh, Logan Brown has kind of been in and out, he's kind of been dinged up. 
there have been, I think some, you know, uh, it, it's again, it's the spring and I don't want to put, say, this is what it is, but I, I do think the right tackle spot is, is one that is not settled. I think that when Joe Tipman comes back at center, I think there's a good chance that Tanner Borderlini ends up out at right tackle. I don't know how you feel about that, but that's kind of what I, I imagine happening at this point, just based on what we've seen in spring so far. Maybe we get to talk to the, we're, as, as we're saying this, we get to talk to the offensive lineman on Friday. Uh, we're t- doing this show on Thursday. We'll get a uh, first chance to talk with Bob Bostad since re, you know taking back the offensive line. We'll maybe get a feel of what he's thinking at a bunch of different spots. But I think the right tackle spot, of all the spots in the offensive line right now, I think the, the right tackle spot would be the one that is, I think, most in question in my mind. I would agree 100%, and I wouldn't be surprised if it's Bordellini there. There's still a long way to go, but it's all about consistency. And a lot of times when we're talking about guys coming off the edge, um, it's in matchups with with Logan. And, and you know, that's that's not always fair, I suppose. because um, It's a new position for him, too. Yes. Um, but you got to be able to protect off the edge, protect your quarterback. Um, and so I think that's an ongoing challenge for him. But when Tipman is healthy, I think, I mean, look, Bordellini has shown that he deserves a place in that top five. He's kind of a Swiss army knife because he's been able to play multiple positions. And I think he plays them all very well. So maybe it's a situation where it's a competition at the tackle spot when fall camp starts and, and Tipman is healthy. But I would say of all the five, that's the one that is perhaps most up in the air when Tipman does come back simply because you know what you're going to get from Bordellini each game and each play. And I think that's a big part of this. Um, You have to know what to expect from the line, but I think overall it's going to be a pretty darn good line. Um, Expectations are always high for that group, but I think the moves that Bostad have made has made so far will really benefit this group and put guys in positions to succeed, especially moving Jack Nelson back to left tackle and sliding Tyler beach inside for the first time at left guard. Yeah. I really like that side of the line. I do. I, I think it's going to be really, really good. Tyler Beach is, is better su- suited, I think, to be the inside guy. And Jack Nelson has all the talent in the world. And he just has to obviously uh, be healthy. And uh, I think they'll be fine on that side. Some other standouts, I think, here in the last week. One would be I, I, the, the very sexy position of kicker, but Nate Van <laughs> Nate Van Zels, the last Crushing two Crushing it. Yeah, in the last two practices, eight for eight uh, on field goals, including uh, now they haven't you know, push them back and they're inside. So there's no weather, but uh, eight for eight and uh, hit both of his 45 yard field goals the last two times out. I think he, that'd be, the, that'd be one of my standouts. Again, it's, they're not, I think only a, like one or two of the kicks actually came against a rush. So again, spring, but I think he's, he'd be one of the guys that stood out to me for you. I mean, in my practice report this week, I said he's emerged as the early front runner to win the starting kicker job. That, that might be one of the biggest surprises simply because. I just assumed, well, they put Vito Calvaruso on scholarship when he transferred from Arkansas. Yeah. Colin Larsh left. He was a, the three-year starter. Okay, this is the natural progression. Calvaruso came to Wisconsin to earn a shot at the starting kicker job because he'd been the, the kickoff specialist at Arkansas the last two years. Well, Van Zelst is making it really hard for anybody to, uh, to take that spot because he, he hasn't missed the last couple practices. He's been consistent, and it seems very fluid. And even on the longer kicks, there's been room to spare. Now, yes, it's indoors. It's not a game-like situation. But it's hard to fall down on the pecking order when you don't miss. And Calvaruso, the last couple practices at least, hasn't attempted any kicks. I'm not really sure what's going on with him. Obviously, 
we haven't had a chance to talk to any specialists, but Van Zelt's certainly one of the surprises. He's a walk-on from Illinois, and he picked Wisconsin over scholarship offers from Air Force Army, and then he had FCS schools, Yale and Eastern Illinois. So a big jump for him, and, and I know that the field goal kicking is always kind of a, in a lot of years, is a concern for Wisconsin fans. But so far, really good job by Van Zelst. Yeah, I thought another guy that had a really good practice on Thursday was Skylar Bell. Yeah. yeah. Had a couple of touchdowns in, in the red zone, um, seven on seven or Skelly, including one where he skied up, grabbed the ball, came down, feet inbounds, and had a DB draped all over him, went up and got a chase wolf pass. I thought that was one of the more impressive catches I've seen in spring to this point. Also had uh, got the ball in an end around in, in 11 on 11 and, and took it away. Again, they were not tackling. They weren't even in pads today. So that's what it's worth. But he's kind of stood out. I should say he stood out today. On Tuesday, had a couple drops. Like there, that's that's kind of that's kind of what it is right now with some of the young wide receivers. I would, in my opinion, is you know it's it's one good play, two good plays, one bad play, like two steps forward, one step back type of stuff. Yeah, I think overall I've been encouraged by what I've seen from the wide receiver group. The the top five is at least this at this point pretty clear. And and Stephon Bracy hadn't practiced to, on Thursday. He was back, um, at least in uh, small capacity, he was returning some punts. But it's been been Chimray DK, Skylar Bell, Marcus Allen, Keontes Lewis, and Dean Ingram. And I'm, I'm with you. There, there have been moments where you go, oh, this guy's ready to take a next step. I think I had mentioned this last week, but I, I've been really impressed with what Dean Ingram's been able to do. Just so natural. Um, there's been a couple catches that have really stood out. He had one last Thursday where Graham rolled to his right. And he put it on uh, Dean at the right sideline. And Dean was able to make this really athletic catch where he got both of his feet in bounds before he was dragged out of bounds. And he's just been pretty smooth and consistent. Now, I don't know what his role is ultimately going to be. I don't know if he's going to be someone they put in the slot um, or whether he can take reps away from some of these other guys. But there's, there's talent there. And Wisconsin obviously needs to figure it out after losing Danny Davis and Kendrick Pryor. Yeah, for sure. I also say, and you, we mentioned the tight ends, and I put this in my practice report on Tuesday, I think Hayden, Hayden Rucci and, and Cole Dokovich are absolute maulers in the run game. And um, that probably is not should not come as a surprise when you look at them and, and what kind of what people are expecting out of them. But they, in, in the inside drill, what they do, which they do almost every practice, is just you know the front seven versus the offensive line and the running backs and the tight ends. And they put two of their guys in the ground. Like it was impressive. Uh, every, almost every time out with those two, they, they get after it in the run game. So they, that kind of stood out for me as well. And hmm, trying to think of anybody else that may in the last week. I mean, we've talked about in the past, we talked last week about Cade McDonald. He's gotten some more opportunities. I've thought Isaac Townsend has, mm-hmm. has certainly uh, flashed at times, had a really good practice on Tuesday. Anybody else for you? Um, I think we've pretty much covered it. I mean, it goes without saying that Chimray DK has been excellent this spring. He's he's always consistent and the clear number one wide receiver. But when you see a big play, it's not a surprise when you see that DK's got the ball in his hands. I I, I think he's going to have a, a big season this year, and he's certainly going to be Graham's number one target. Also, the inside linebackers. I thought it was interesting. Bill Sheridan said that it's the, the depth chart right now is about the snaps that guys played last year. And um, that seems weird. To me, I don't know about to you. What, what do you think about that? 
It makes sense to me. So I, I, I'm glad you brought them up because it's worth mentioning them too, since we talked to Sheridan and the inside linebackers since we did the last show. Um, it's been pairs all the way through, the same pairs. Tatum Grass and Muma Jong Meta are, are the first group. You see Jordan Turner and Jake Cheney in one group, Jake Ratzlaff and Spencer Lytle in the other, and then the, the last group are, are the young guys, Brian Sanborn and Aiden Vaughn. But that's how Sheridan said he did it. He looked at the snap counts from last year. Um, look, he's coming in new. It's basically, a, it feels like a wide open situation here because you lost the best tandem in the country with Leo Chanel and Jack Sanborn leaving. Grass played 63 defensive snaps last season. John Meta played 58. So that's your top group. Turner played 24 snaps. And Jake Cheney, even though he didn't play any defensive snaps, he played 103 special team snaps, which Sheridan felt like that's something. So he's comfortable with them in the, in the next group. Ratzlaff played four snaps. And then Lytle, yeah, he played 43 snaps at outside linebacker, but this is a, a new transition for him. So kind of like a no-snap guy inside linebacker, but he's, he's been here. And then Sanborn and Vaughn obviously haven't played yet. And that's how he's done it so far. Um, it, I mean, I'm fine with it. But and I don't think just because it's Jung Meta and Grass right now with the ones that that necessarily means that's what it's going to be all the time in fall camp. But you can develop develop a rhythm with someone. I suppose it's a little bit different because basically every other position group, I think you could say certainly defensively, there is maybe a one group, but you see different players rotating in with the ones, um, and you don't necessarily see that at the inside linebackers because it's the same tandem. Number one's not rotating. What a shock at inside linebacker. Probably yeah. have never seen that before. No, I'm kidding. Yeah, that, that's going to be a group that going into fall camp, I, I, I suspect it'll be different in fall camp, how they decide to deal with that, because you need to, to, to identify who your starters are. But hey, it's a different way, however you want to do it. All right, let's get to uh, a few Twitter questions that we got. And I kind of already asked this one already when I was talking about the safeties, but uh, Gasman says, with the number of injuries at both tight end and safety, do you think they look at bringing someone in via the portal after spring practice at either position? I think they're always looking. I don't know what the scholarship situation will be. I don't know whether anybody's going to leave, but you got to be able to, to fix your deficiencies. And if there's someone available that there's a, a good fit, absolutely you look for it. Yeah. Uh, CT Badger says last fall, the offense rarely flashed against the Wisconsin defense. We credited the defense, but it turned out to be a harbinger <laughs> of future of the future as the offense showed little explosiveness. Does it look any better for the offense this spring? Another tough question to answer because they're putting in a lot of new wrinkles. So it's, it's still really early. I would say every practice, but probably Saturdays, you could say, wow, the defense was, was really ahead. And, and, the practice on Thursday, there, there really wasn't much going on. I mean, there were some nice offensive plays. So, look, they've got a really good defense. Last year, they had the number one defense in the country. If they're not better than the offense, like, you know, <laughs> they're not the number one defense in the country. I don't know. Uh, it doesn't look substantially different right now, but I think there's a long way to go. Is that fair? All right, that's very fair. Very fair. All right, so this one came from last week that I – I missed because uh, we did it. We I, I didn't see it until after we did the show, but I thought it was a worthwhile one uh, from Jacob. He says, what coaching change do you think will result in the biggest change or impact on the field? Well, that's a good question. Um, I'm going to go with Bobby Ingram. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, 
maybe that's an obvious answer. I don't know, but I think there we're starting to see some at least small wrinkles. That's the big that's the biggest um, deficiency with the football program. Obviously, that the offense hasn't taken a step forward the last two years. You got one of the best defenses in the country, and it, it doesn't matter because you can't score enough. So. I think there's going to be, and while players and coaches have talked about, maybe you won't see if you're the average fan, these massive changes. I think the wrinkles that he's starting to implement are going to be significant in the end. So like, yeah, moving Bob Bostead back to the O-line, that's a big deal. I think Joe Rudolph was a pretty good O-line coach. Some fans may disagree with the results the last year or so, but I think it's Bobby Ingram. That's a good question. I think Bob Bosta is going to end up, it's going to end up being the biggest just okay. because of the, just because of the, the changes and maybe, and again, maybe Joe Rudolph makes the same changes. I don't really think it mattered who the offensive line coach was that Jack Nelson was going to be at tackle this year. Yeah. Like, yes, I, but going back to the left side, that kind of caught me off guard. So, and, and moving Tyler inside, I don't know if that's necessarily something that, that, that would have happened, but um, the, I think Bob Bosta potentially has the potential to make the biggest difference because if the offensive line is dominant, then the offense can be successful to successful to very successful. If the offensive line is dominant and able to run the ball, it opens up just so much other things. So I don't know. I guess that's, that's where I would go with, with that question. I, th- I think it's a good question though. Um, yeah. And it's something that we'll continue to monitor as the, the spring goes along and then into to fall camp and see how everything looks September 3rd against Illinois State. Have you noticed a change in any way that, that Paul Christ is either coaching practice or approaching practice, whether like his role during it? it? It feels like, and again, five practices, and today was a little bit different than, than Tuesday, but I noticed on Tuesday it felt very hands-off for him where he was standing off to the side of the offense. He was watching and I don't know about evaluating, but yeah, I'm sure evaluating was part of it, but he had his play call sheet and was, was following along in that little play call sheet. And then sometimes was telling the managers where to put the ball and that type of stuff. But it felt a lot of hands, hands off, at least on Tuesday and where it was Bobby Ingram. This is, this is you and, and the assistants and doing it all together. I don't know. Have you noticed any difference with him at all? Well, I would say it was perhaps more hands off until after practice when yes. we gathered the team. And, uh, you know, look, we, we watched practice from uh, afar, um, from kind of an, another room, uh, second level of the practice facility. So we weren't privy to what was said, but he was very animated um, in talking to the group. The offense was perhaps not as crisp as it should have been. So <laughs> he's still the head guy and he's still in oh, there. But yeah, I, yeah. I think he made the changes so he could delegate more. That was uh, as we've discussed, he had so much on his plate last season, trying to wear those different hats to be the quarterback's coach, to call all the plays, to be the head coach. That's why you bring in Bobby Ingram. And Ingram's not going to be able to put his stamp on it unless he's able to do that in practices. So, you know, I, I, as Ingram said when he was first hired, it's a collaborative effort and it is going to continue to be particularly behind the scenes. But, you know, Bobby's going to call the plays and, Paul's going to give his input and, and this is kind of, I think what it's, what it's going to start to look like. Well, and like in the calling of plays, it is what it is. I mean, it's a script during practice. So it's yeah. not like it's, you know, it's, it's not like there's a lot of decisions being made there in terms of what's going to be called. And I understand that it just felt like he was off to the side a little bit on Tuesday where it allowed his assistants to kind of 
to do to have a, a bigger role in it, specifically Bobby Ingram. It felt like Bobby Ingram was in the middle of everything on Tuesday. And um, again, back today, Paul Chris, a little bit closer to the rest of the assistants and, and uh, that kind of thing. And again, I'm probably looking way too into it, but I was just wondering if you had seen anything like that or if I'm just seeing things and apparently I'm just seeing things. And that, that's completely fine. I'm okay with that. Uh, no, I don't think you're, I don't think you're just seeing things. And I think this is a good time for him to, let the coaches do their thing because like they've, they've got to learn um, what their roles are going to be and what they want out of their group. This is the great time to do it with these 15 spring practices, especially with so many new faces on offense in that coaching staff. I mean, with only one guy being in the same position as he was last year, they're probably still learning each other and all that, that goes into it and facing a Jim Leonard defense every day just has to be not terrifying, but just not very fun. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. That would be horrible. Uh, all right. We will be back next week. Give you another update on what we've seen at spring ball. Until then, Jesse, thank you very much. Thanks, Zach. All right. There is Jesse Temple from The Athletic. You've been listening to The Camp.